Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after a game that I think Winnipeg Jets fans will have to admit they've seen before. This is a common pattern with this team, and it usually ends up one or two ways. Jets don't quite play a full 60 minutes. They make a frenetic push. So often, it seems, those games end up with the Jets pulling off a miracle comeback. And if you have been listening to this show for some time, maybe last season, uh, I think I talked about it a lot more last season because it seemed to happen a lot more last season. But this is something that the Winnipeg Jets have been doing for a long, long time. Fall behind in games, pounce back, get back into games because they've got the firepower to do it. Uh, they seem to make a push like very few teams in the in the league are able to do, and they seem to do it consistently. And I get it. I understand why Jets fans love those kind of games because it's fun, right? It's fun that you're never out of it. It's fun that your team is that kind of team that can, you know, steal victory from the jaws of defeat. Um, but if you've been listening to this program uh, at any point throughout the last couple of years, you'll know that I'm not a big fan of those games. Uh, and this is the reason why, because this is what those games look like when they when they don't pull off the miracle comeback. And, and so what you're left with, rather than the Jets, you know, scoring with 30 seconds left in the game, sending it to overtime, at least you get a point, maybe you get two points in overtime, that's fine. But when when it doesn't happen, when you don't execute the comeback, what it looks like is a game where you had a 10-minute push and 50 minutes of nothingness, uh, of not good enough, of not pushing hard enough, of not recognizing the situation that you are in and knowing that you can't be leaving games on the table because you didn't show up. And, and that's what we're looking at in this game here tonight. You know, talk to the Jets after the game. Uh, the assessment of where things went wrong was quite simply just allowing themselves to fall down into a 3 nothing hole. Um, it's just, I, I've said this before, um, there's there's something about the Jets that I think they their default almost seems to fall back on their ability to score their way back into games. Uh, and, and that's the default. And, and to me, you know, and we'll dig into this a little bit further about where we think the Winnipeg Jets are heading. That's something that's concerning is, is, are, is what we're seeing the Winnipeg Jets success as of late and their scoring as of late. Has that just awakened the, what seems to be an urge in this team to just lay back and win games with, with their, their, offensive abilities that they've had or was this a one-off is this something that they can root out and erase uh because i will say this this to me is the d in the dna of the winnipeg jets and it's something that we've seen from the winnipeg jets for a lot of years now this sitting back and just scoring your way back into a game they tried it here tonight it didn't work and now all of a sudden all of a sudden, we've talked about this before, if we're breaking this season down into five-game stretches, the Jets basically need to earn 6.5 points out of uh, out of every 10 points uh, that, that, that they have an opportunity to get. Well, now, all of a sudden, the Jets, after a great five-game stretch this last time, now, all of a sudden, all they have is room for one more loss in their next four games. And that's a tough slog the next four games. So they've put themselves now in a in a basically must-win situation because if you don't win it, you lose two games. Now you've kicked the can down the road and you need to go four out of five in, in one of these game stretches and still play amazing the rest of the time. So in a season where there is just no room for not showing up and pushing to get to the Jets over the playoff line. There was clearly not enough push from this team tonight. Uh, I, I don't think I'm going to be the only person who has this opinion. I think the guy that I'm going to bring into the show right now probably has a similar opinion, but you never know. I never want to speak for him. But one thing that does speak for him is his awesome entry of music. Here comes Kenny, everybody.
So, Kenny, we talked about this in our Sportsnet broadcast on Wednesday, how it really just seems like, you know, the Jets are living and dying with every loss. And I thought <laughs> we'd put up a good graphic that kind of explained why that is. I mean, the Jets' playoff chances were sitting around 10%, you know, right at the end of January. With this stretch of hockey they've gone on, they got it up to about, you know, a 1-4 in four chance. And then with that loss that they had against Chicago, it dropped from around 25% down below 20% again. And, and that's just the, the issue here is usually, uh, and we know how this goes, right? When the Jets win on the Kenny and Randy show, everything's roses, <laughs> plan the parade, that's how it's gonna go. When they lose on this show, it's like, that's it, they're not gonna make the playoffs. But the fact of the matter is there's real reason to feel that way, not so much with the wins, because they need to put a bunch of wins together, but with the losses because the losses hurt the losses are the things that they have to avoid they need to just keep piling up points and on a night like tonight there didn't seem in my mind to be recognition of that or at least an attitude on the ice that reflected that what did you see yeah i, I thought that the jets were flat for 40 minutes uh, especially the first period i would say a failed five on three kind of got them in the wrong going the wrong way uh, I mean, of course, there were some chances that were missed, some nice plays by the Oilers, but Jets' puck movement wasn't fast enough during that stretch. Uh, they needed to do a better job of creating, like, five on three. It's not automatic, Sean, but it should be as close to an automatic goal as you can get, right? Five on three, mm -hmm. great teams, bury those. And then you're off to a great start. After that, I think the shots on goal were four on four. They got no shots on the five on three. I think they got one during the five on four. But the Jets weren't good enough. And then after that, the Oilers took complete control of the game for the last, you know, 12, 13 minutes of the period. Uh, shots finished like 16-5 or something like that, 15-5. Uh, and they were the Jets were the second fastest team, and they didn't win enough puck battles. So to me, uh, you're right. I mean, when you talk about urgency, we've seen lots of desperation and urgency lately. Today, we didn't see it until the third period. And that that's a difficult recipe when you're playing against a team like the Edmonton Oilers that are committed. Uh, they have got the new coach bump, and they're now 5-0. and I mean, a little bit of credit definitely belongs to the Oilers, but uh, the Jets weren't good enough today. Uh, that is that is quite clear. Um, they Their offense wasn't there, and they missed some of the guys that were out of the lineup, but uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't think that the Jets uh, played well enough. I mean, I don't think it was a lack of try, but uh, they didn't have the same kind of emotional um, investment as the Oilers had. Um, you know what? I'm going to get this out of the way early because it's been asked for a couple of times. we got to give the fans what they want, and I'll tell you this right now. I still owe people for my glaring error on Thursday. Let's make this a Sean's headband version of the Kenny and Rennie show. <laughs> go giving the people what they want one more there thing sorry i should have uh, finished the i was point. gonna I mean, say that was a short short that was trip to the buffet there i was like what's happening here yeah it certainly <laughs> was uh the other part too i mean we talked about this during the intermission i mean this just reinforces how slim the margin for error is sean right because there yep. are going to be nights when the jets play extremely hard and extremely well and then they don't win the game right today was not one of those days they tr sort of tried to pull it out of the hat today with a late push, but you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna get by playing 40 minutes or 20 minutes against some of these higher end teams. And right now, the Oilers are playing like a playoff team. And yeah. oh, guess what? When you can't afford many more stumbles, look what's on the docket coming up. The hottest team in the league, the Calgary Flames, winners of eight in a row going into today's action. Then they play the Dallas Stars, a team they're trying to catch. And oh. If you happen to get through those two games unscathed, well, now you got to face actually one of the other best teams in the NHL, the Colorado Avalanche, a team that is running away with the division. And if you can get through those, then you have the Arizona Coyotes on the Sunday to wrap up your road trip. But boy, oh boy, it's a tough stretch. And, and like you said, I, I mean, I same thing. We know Dave Lowry's proud of the way his team played in the third, but he, 
even if he doesn't share it with us, you know he's disappointed by the way they started that hockey game. And he has to be because you need... Uh, there, the other day, the Jets were within three points. Well, now they're already five back. And they could be... Let's see. Are the Oil- Yeah, the Kings are playing today. By the yeah. end of today, they could be seven back. So I mean, they do have a game. They will have sure, a game in sure. on the Kings after tonight. But I sure. watched that Kings game last night against Vegas. I mean... I gotta say this. I, I've I've been saying that I think that uh, Anaheim's a little bit of a house of cards. Sure, that Kings team is a tough team to play against. They've got a really really good defense. Uh, they were creative on offense last night. I think what you're seeing here, the closing of the gap between the Winnipeg Jets and the Kings. The Kings had a couple tough games before this. One of them against the Edmonton Oilers, who are playing really really good right now. But. The, the Jets closing the gap on the Kings recently has more to do with the Jets winning the games that they had, had in hand on the Kings, not so much the Kings falling apart, whereas a team like Anaheim's falling apart a little bit. Suddenly, Nashville's in the conversation because they're falling apart a little bit. But I'm taking a look around it. You know, Dallas Stars are playing good hockey right now. The LA Kings are playing good hockey right now. And the fact of the matter is, to your point, the Jets, once again, could be seven points out of a playoff spot. That's a wide chasm, a true six points out right. if Dallas... Dallas wins their next game, and the fact of the matter is, you know, you you can as good as they've been playing, that gap on the playoffs. And while some teams have fallen behind them, like you know, San Jose has fallen behind them, and again, Nashville has come into view. Vancouver's still playing really good, and right now is only one game behind the Jets, and has it trails them by just two points and Vancouver has been doing this for a long time like you talked about this on the last show we need to see the Jets can string some wins together they were just coming off to your point and it was a great point last show their first two game winning streak since early January well that's not the case with the Vancouver Canucks the Vancouver Canucks have been tearing it up for a long time came from way behind the Jets and now are right there they win tonight. Yeah, the Jets will have two games in hand, but they'll also be behind two points. This is, you know, it's it's just funny how with every loss, all the good feeling that comes up with this team surrounding this team can just be popped by by one bad game, you know, or one loss. And I just wonder, do you think that that's the way it feels in the dressing room? Do you think there's a recognition of that? Or do you think that these just slough off this team and they just keep moving forward? Well, the proof will be in the pudding. I don't think that the players are reacting the way that our, you know, passionate fan base and uh, chat room does. And just to be like, it's time for a quick wake up. DJ underscore, please start bringing some different material. Every time the Jets lose, don't bring this. You've said this every single time. And just because I haven't highlighted it, I see it. That game, Merz Lickens played well. Okay. I wasn't saying that the Columbus Blue Jackets were a playoff team. Nor did I say on Monday the Chicago Blackhawks were a good team. So wake up or bring some new material. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Keep going. Keep going to to what you were talking about in the dressing room. How they respond? No, I mean like, just look at the. I mean again, Adam Lowry and Josh Morrissey were at the podium. I mean, do those guys look demoralized to you? No, of course not. The Jets know what they need to do. They need to be winning seven or eight out of ten. They don't need to, you know, they're not, you know, of course they know this is a missed opportunity. But one of the first questions Josh had to you, Sean, today was, we play in 48 hours. Like, he, he wasn't yeah. saying we're, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time saying, oh, man, I wish we had had a better start to the game. I mean, that's over with. I mean, so do they feel it? Of course they feel it. Nobody likes to lose. Uh, I'm sure they're disappointed. But, I mean, again, the Oilers are playing well. So, yes, DJ underscore, the Oilers have been playing well. They won five in a row under a new head coach. So they are in a playoff spot. So, I mean, again, they need to do better. I mean, but, again, you're not going to win every game. And, and that that's that's what I love about, again, we understand it's passionate. But every time the Jets win, it doesn't mean they're going to win the Cup. And when the Jets lose, it doesn't mean they should tank. They're they're not gonna they can't tank. It's too late for tanking, unless the Jets win the lottery. If they miss, they're not gonna be bad enough to have a good chance of winning the lottery. So the Jets aren't gonna pull the pin on the last thirty four games of the season here. So they're gonna try to do the best that they possibly can. Can they make it? Maybe, but they're gonna have to play better than they have to this point. That means winning more than two in a row. Until they show it, that's what's that's what they're up against. Um. <laughs> Okay. Um, uh, Harvey, thanks for stopping by. My tie's not even tight, buddy. 
<laughs> about three weeks, about three weeks, a little over three weeks until the trade deadline. The one thing I will say that, uh, you know, this loss brings into focus a little bit more, I think, Ken, especially with the next four games. Remind me, who are the, are the next four teams they're playing? Dallas is one, Colorado is one, Calgary is one. Who's the other? Colorado, and the fourth one is Arizona on the Sunday. Arizona. Okay, so Arizona is, you know, something that we should be expecting I guess you can't say that the way that this has been going this season. But, I mean, if the Jets have a little bit of a tough stretch here, suddenly it becomes really, really difficult to imagine that this team can't be at least pursuing or thinking of pursuing the idea of trading someone like Andrew Kopp or or Paul Stastny. Sure. Um, that gets tricky. But Hang on. I, I'm gonna, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt your momentum, but, nope. Sean, to me – unless the Jets win eight in a row, I think you have to consider trading those two players even if there's a chance of making the playoffs because right now the Jets don't look like a team that can win four rounds. So if you're not going to win all four rounds, then you have to at least be listening on the offers for those players. I don't think they necessarily have to fall out of it. I understand what you're saying. I'm not saying it should be a white flag raised, but what I am saying is if you can get players in, not just, I'm not saying trade them for draft picks. But if you can do the retool on the fly and still get players back that can help you this season, I think they have to consider that still, no matter how this next stretch of games goes. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. And that's okay. And I'll say that because I think the issue that you're dealing with here is Kevin Shevel day off. I think we're starting to get into a territory where he's got to kind of prove a little bit of the faith that he's had in this team. So, uh, yes, I, I get what you're saying. You're either all in or you're not all in, right? Send those guys down the road if you don't think you look like a team that can win the Stanley Cup this year. I don't think that's the case. I think Kevin Dayoff, in an effort to keep his job, and let me be clear, I've said this in the past, I don't think, I, I think if we watch what's happening right now and the Jets miss the playoffs and Kevin Dayoff doesn't make any moves and they go and they miss the playoffs, I still think Kevin Dayoff is going to be making the decisions on this team in the summertime into next year. But I will say this, I think that there's still pressure there and I think that Kevin Dayoff is not going to willy-nilly move those guys to say, let's build for the future. If it's a future, he's not sure he's going to be here for and what I mean by that is it, it, what he he's going to be looking to say if he can pull out uh, you know get to the playoffs and pull out a victory or make it close against let's say they get in the eighth spot and they're playing the Colorado Avalanche well there's a good chance the Colorado Avalanche are going to go deep so even if you lose to the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche and show something in that series they can do what they've done this whole time Ken oh well we played the St. Louis Blues well, yeah we lost to them in the first round but look they went on and they won the cup and then last year oh yeah we lost to the Montreal Canadiens they went on and they challenged for the cup and we won that first round like to me, there's a definite idea in this organization that they're trying to reach little benchmarks that they can hold up as success, not only within the organization, but to the fan base. And th that is an ongoing uh, pattern with this team. So because that's an ongoing pattern, I see the idea of Kevin Chevaldeoff not trading, not cashing in his chips uh, because he wants to try and see if he can't make some kind of push in which to hang his job security on. That's something I could fully see him doing and not making any moves because of that. Sure, but my point is, like you said, if the Jets are not all in, the Jets should not trade their first round draft pick this year, is my personal opinion. So, which is what I'm saying. If you can move Andrew Kopp for someone that can help you this year and next year and beyond, when they're in a better position to make a stronger push in a division that is incredibly tough. And I get what you're saying, Sean. All you have to do is get in. You know, if you have Connor Hellebuck, if you get in, you have a chance. I'm not saying the Jets don't have a chance. What I am saying, back to your point, I'm reinforcing your own point. Kevin Sheveldev yeah. can make the Jets better for next year by making a trade today. That doesn't, it may not pay immediate dividends depending on the player available, but not having Andrew Kopp or Paul Stastny next season will not make the Jets a better team. So if you can replace those guys without having to dip into free agency before the summer or the offseason, I think they have to consider doing that. That's all I'm saying. I, 
I honestly think the only way that they do that, I guess, you know, with free agency, but I think they start looking at the idea of doing it, especially because they've got to pay Pierre-Luc Dubois if that goes down and happens this year. Like you've said in the past, you expect that to happen. They're going to have to fill those holes internally is my take. So Okay, I, I well, Gustafson to, then, right? I mean, so... Sure, that's what so. I mean. But but you are banking on guys coming like... Paul. St- hey, Andrew Kopp is, what, fourth in team scoring right now? Paul Stastny has proven time and time again, yeah, he doesn't put up the audacious numbers but he shows up at the right oh. time too many times to not discount like what he actually means to this team so, i'm not advocating getting yeah. rid of paul stastny but if the jets don't think they can sign him next year for two million dollars they have to consider getting an asset back especially if it's a player that can help them well I, they could move him and still do that though that's, right that's so that's what that it, situation. Yeah. for sure and sorry and, and i'm not trying to just argue with you for the sake of argument i'm just no, what i'm I saying is they it. they have to listen like they're they're trying to make their team better right now. Their team's not good enough. So, unless you can sign Andrew Cop, or if, and, and you got to know that before the deadline. I mean, yes, you could take a chance, ride out the season, and see what happens. But it's risky, is all I'm saying. And uh, just a quick one on Gustafson. Someone had asked. To me, it's an unofficial conditioning stint uh, because he doesn't require waivers. You don't have to call it a conditioning stint. I expect Gustafson to have a chance with the Jets in the not so distant future how long that will take will depend on how he plays coming back it obviously has been tough for him uh, in terms of his injuries he hasn't played for quite some time but I mean David Gustafson is a better option than some players that the Jets uh, rolled into the lineup today so uh, but he needs to stay healthy and get into the lineup but we're going to get to Josh Morrissey in a second what are the Jets going to do at second line right wing that or first line right wing or 1b or whatever you want to call them um Today, I mean, I thought Veselina was played steady the other night. I didn't like his game today at all, to be perfectly no, honest. Didn't Very have a game in, invisible. A bad penalty. He's going to, and, and I mean, I and Svechnikov also a bad penalty. Uh, well, Svechnikov, I think, is is the one right now that is in the most trouble, right? Like Dave Lowry made it clear that it was a penalty that could have been avoided, probably cost the Jets down the stretch here, took away momentum from a team that desperately needed it at that time. If you are a bubble player, and let's make it clear, Svechnikov, the way they've utilized him, they have shown they believe he's a bubble player. You can't be a bubble player and go out and cost your team in, in, in a much avoidable way, right? So he he's in trouble. I, I think... <laughs> DJ he, he, underscore, thank you for your passion as well. He he's, he's in a world of hurt right now. That, to me, was the place that I would have talked about them going. Uh, and I know that they did move to that for a, a tiny little bit during the game here tonight. But, I, I mean, look, it, it it's unfortunate... Uh, if you're looking at it from a player's point of view that you feel that at times you have proven yourself in a role and then you've lost that role repeatedly and then you're in a situation where you're constantly having to prove yourself for a role. That's that's a lot of pressure to be under. And Svechnikov handled that pressure earlier on in the year. It doesn't seem like as the year goes on he's handling it as well. And I understand that, Ken, because to me your team has shown that their faith lies uh, their faith and their interest lies in other players. So whenever you do get your shot, you don't feel like you're playing to prove something to your team because you feel like even if you do prove something, you're going to get moved down the line again anyway. And I think that's where Svechnikov is. I think he's starting to feel like there's nothing that he can do to win these coaches over. If that's how you feel, your motivation starts to slide. Uh, and then I think that you get performances like we saw from him tonight. But I will say the handling of that has taken an option away from the Jets if if that's how this is broken down. If Svechnikov doesn't feel as motivated anymore and you can't use him to be a contributing player the way that he was earlier in the season, Svechnikov, no doubt, the individual has to own a, a portion of that. But I would say the coaching staff from Paul Maurice all the way through to Dave Lowry's time here owns a piece of that as well. If that player is not able to give you what you've seen from him in the past, you got to take a look at the utilization of that player and where he is psychologically and mentally and you got to own a little piece of what you've done to put him in that headspace and Ken we've talked about this before Christian Veselainen I've said this from the from from the beginning of the season, from preseason, from training camp, there's not a player that the Jets, I think, have wanted to grab the brass ring the way they've wanted Christian Veselainen to do it. He just has not done it. And at this stage, I mean, I, I, I think you're you got to 
look at all options. Reichel, I thought, I thought has fit in well on that third line, so I don't know how much you want to take him off there. But you're right. In the meantime now, there's a wide-open spot on a line that could really use a guy pushing. And the Jets at some point in this season had a whole bunch of options, but injuries and player utilization, I think, have taken those options away. And now it's a little bit of a guessing game of what you are going to get from that side of the ice when you do put a different player in there. Tough time of year to have that popping up. Yeah, and they're just spinning the wheel right now because no one has taken the job. And I know we've are sorry, we've we've hotly debated this topic before. Uh, this seems like another Jack Rosovic conversation to me, Sean. Except to me, I would even say Rosovic was a much more established player than Yevgeny Svechnikov uh, in terms of who's at fault. Like the Jets have needed secondary scoring all year long. They would have wanted him to succeed. And like you said, they want Christian Veselainen to succeed. He's been given every single opportunity, and it hasn't been there for him. I mean, it's a tough stretch. And Quickly on the injury update. I mean, Andrew Kopp, we're not sure. Could he be a player on Monday? I mean, if only if we see him on the ice tomorrow, right? I mean, if we don't see Andrew Kopp uh, and Cole Perfetti, we saw him in the hallway today, Sean. Uh, I think it's pretty much, I mean... I think seeing him briefly, I would say that it would reinforce our belief that he is dealing with some kind of a shoulder injury, right? I mean, he had his jacket on, but to me, it looked like he was favoring his shoulder. Is that not what you thought when when we saw him walk by? Yeah, totally. So he's not coming back anytime soon. So this is not a short-term problem for the Jets. This needs to be solved before Nikolai Ehlers is back. I mean, if Andrew Kopp can play, well, great. But... Until that happens, somebody needs to step up. And again, I, you know, I, Svechnikov's hit was a touch late. I mean, it, it always feels less late to the player delivering the hit. But unless he crossed some kind of line with the official, that's an absolutely horrendous call. That is a horrendous call to give him a to tee a guy up in a tight game like that. Again, we're not yeah, down there. Weird. We didn't hear what he said. Uh, and you know, to what Dave Lowry's point, if the ref didn't like what was said, penalize the player. Yeah. yeah, get him, toss him out of there. But uh, anyways, that was neither here nor there. Uh, neither one of those players in that situation got enough done in that short amount of time. I mean, I thought it was interesting. You know, you saw one power shift where you saw Dubois up with Shafley and Wheeler. Uh, I mean, for all the you know for all the deserved praise we've been giving Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler, it was a rough night for those guys or a rough afternoon. I mean, not a lot happening. Um, yeah, uh, you know what, I, I mean, on that point, it, it felt to me like there was a little bit of, someone pointed out to me the curlbacks uh, that were happening on that line, like pushing in towards the zone and rather than driving it towards the net, there's that, you know, the little button hook back and then creating space. And I mean, that's a te- technique. I'm not saying they're the only players in the league that do it. I typically see that as a sign that they're not pushing and going to the net. And see, that that's the thing that I'm interested in and watching for is the style of play that the Winnipeg Jets go to it again I I, I I almost feel like when when the Jets start scoring in bunches like we know they're capable of doing it feels like there's this you know it the, the offensive side of their game has been activated and then they start kind of going back to some of the bad habits that we've seen in the past that while they do turn into scoring opportunities if they don't turn into scoring opportunities they end up you know, one, costing them defensively, and two, end up being hallmarks of those games where they're just not getting inside enough and pushing on a night like tonight to, to just get it to the front of the net and jam one in. And it's funny. It brings me to, to my next point. I think this is – I'm very interested by this. You take a look at what the Jets had done. Do you need to go someplace with just this? One, we- one quick one on those two guys. I heard a lot of people – suggesting Mark had a flyby on the second goal. That could not be further from the truth. That's one of the best back checks Mark Scheifele's had all year when he caught McDavid. There was no flyby there. He caught the player. The player made a nice drop pass. And actually, Blake Wheeler had an excellent back check on Zach Hyman. It looked like Hyman would get to the back post first. But Wheeler kind of eliminated him from the play. And then Paul Stastny actually does a nice job to get to where Kyler Yamamoto was. But Yamamoto makes a great play going backhand to forehand and Stasty can never get the hook attached to him and that allowed him to get the initial shot in and then to find the rebound but uh, again and uh, again what I was saying when I was saying that they didn't get a lot done offensively you, you can't expect these guys to get two and three points a night the way they have been I mean there are nope. going to be off nights 
And here's the other part, Sean. They were going head-to-head -head with McDavid. So guess what? You're not going to have the puck as often when you're playing against McDavid. And event, you know, sometimes you're not going to be as offensive. So you're not expecting them to you know, shine offensively when you have to try to go um, on that stretch there. So, uh, And one other quick – you go, you go and then we'll go. I just no, have no, so no. many – I, while, we're, while we're talking about that, the McDavid goal, I mean, exceptional. The play that I think people miss, Everyone was, some people called it a no-look pass by Dreisaitl. It was not a no-look pass. He shoulder-checked. He shoulder-checked when he was coming around the net, and then he looked McDavid off, and Pionk got caught staring at the puck, and it went through his feet, and it was a great goal by McDavid. But that was not a no-look play because Leon knew he was there because he already looked for him. Um. You tell I'm, oh, there's there's the helicopter. Uh, Perfect. Timing. Tell a quick, tell a quick senior hockey story. People who know senior hockey know Lloyd Pelche, uh, one of the best hockey players outside of outside of the NHL to come out of Manitoba for for my generation. Anyways, I remember this one game we were playing them, and it was my job to to uh, shadow him the entire time. He got the puck, and we were battling this entire series and he took the puck all the way down the wall behind the net then all the way back up the wall and I was keeping him to the perimeter and then he went all the way down the wall behind the net up the other wall again and then started walking across the blue line and I was thinking to myself man I've got him entirely on the perimeter here everything's safe and all of a sudden I saw him look up and his eyes kind of popped open and he just flipped the puck just flipped it towards the net and I was like he held onto the puck that entire time to flip the puck on net. And I turned and looked, and I saw what he'd recognized. Really good hockey players are able to recognize these situations in the game. And he saw that our goaltender was being screened and was looking around the screen this way and then started to move over. And right at the moment when the screen was going and he was looking this way because Lloyd was going that direction, he flipped the puck right where our goalie had come from and he flipped it high in the air so that it was a looping shot so it's not in the eye line of where a goalie would typically expect it to be and i looked and i was the only person on the ice other than lloyd pelche to see that he floated that puck up in the air and into the top corner past the goaltender to score a goal that no one no one very few people i'd ever played against in my life would recognize crazy part about it is I saw a play, I, I saw a video of Dustin Bufflin when he was like nine years old he did the exact same thing and I thought there you go that that kid had that vision from that early age the point I'm trying to get to is not only is that not a no look pass it is an ultimate look pass because what Leon Dreisaitl does in that moment is he sees that Neil Pionk is looking at him and then starts turning to look and find where Connor McDavid is. And if you notice the pass, it's not a hard pass. It's a soft pass right through his legs that he knows that he's not going to see because it's going softly through his legs. And then he's going to turn this way to see what, what's happening with the puck. And as he does, the puck goes floating past his eye line. That was like 3D Chinese checkers times 100 of him seeing where a player's attention was faced, got it over. That play was elite, the elite of the elite, what he did there. That was not a fluky no-look pass thrown out in front. That was a guy catching a really good NHL defenseman in, in a tiny little spot to look away and turning it into an unbelievable play. That was something. That was good stuff. Oh, tremendous. And one quick thing, and I asked you about this. You had a better view of it than I did because you're on the other side of the press box. My only problem with Leon today, what was he doing spearing Kyle Connor in the top of the shin pad? And then looking like he apologized. That was That's one of the most ridiculous plays I've seen all year. Kyle, there's no chance Kyle Connor did something to Leon to make him angry. It just was a, a weird, weird play. It was almost like um, he blacked out on the play. One, one thing that I have to say, uh, um, when you take a look at where this team is heading right now, and we take a sure. look at the faith that we felt like they built up over this last little while, two wins over Minnesota, win over Nashville, um, and it makes me think with both those teams kind of hitting a little bit of a downslope, but it, it makes you wonder is what we saw, did the Jets break those teams or did the Jets catch them, catch them at the right time? Uh, you can only play the games put in front of you, but you know they did well against. Uh, uh, I thought Dallas to earn themselves a point. So 
in that space of time, they earn this like feeling of good feeling. But so I take a look at that team and I think, okay, the Jets are a team that's on the, the rise now. The standings indicate that. But more importantly, the type of game that they're playing gives you that feeling. But now all of a sudden, if you take a look at their recent stretch of hockey, you take a look at the Chicago Blackhawks game, which I don't think was as bad a game as people say, but it definitely wasn't their best game. Then they came out, had a bad first period against the uh, the Minnesota Wild. They pulled that off, so it looks good. Everything looks like it's okay. Then they put in what I thought was a lackluster effort that they got away with against the Seattle Kraken. And then tonight, they don't start playing until 50 minutes of the game has gone by. So if I take a look at that, I see of you know four of the you know three at least of the last four games are starting to look like these ugly problems that the Jets have had are suddenly rearing their heads. And this is one of these things that, Ken, we talk about this all the time. You'll see a game, a team go on a 10-game winning streak, and they'll follow it up losing, you know, five of their next seven games. And it's because they start picking up these habits. And I'm, a game like tonight makes me wonder, have the Jets already started picking up some of the habits that we know that they can't pick up? And, and is the proof right there in what's been happening the last four games? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I, I, I'm i not sure. I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, the losses, the teams that they lost to are bad losses. The wins against Nashville, the getting to overtime against Dallas, the, I mean, the fact that the Jets beat the Wild twice, I mean, I don't think we should be just sloughing that off as no big deal. The Wild are in a fight for first place. I mean, they're locked for second, not locked, but in a good spot for second. Uh, and they barely lost any games in the one win. Yes, it was coming out of the break. But, I mean, that's a good team. So, to me, I know, I know that some folks are, you know, up and down on, oh, on, on, on coaching. But, I mean, to me, this is the same thing to me that is kind of an annoyance. Like, Dave Lowry was a great coach when the Jets went 4-1-1. One, and one, But now because they lost to the Oilers in the afternoon, now he's shown nothing. I mean, Dave has 30-plus games to see where he can get this team. I mean... I don't think you can say after whatever it is since December 19th that you've seen enough or not enough to say one way or the other which way it's going to go. So uh, to me, sorry, that's just one of the things for me. And common is I would JT Miller, JT Miller is, is of interest to every single team in the NHL. But the problem is he only has one more year in his contract. So unless you can sign him long term, the Jets can't give up the boatload of prospects and capital that it would take to get JT Miller. Uh, because I, I assume that it'll be hard to get him to commit. Um, I, no I fight in the team is – no, how? How can you say that? They just went 4-1-1 one and one and beat good teams. I don't like that. And I did um, play with Darcy, yes, for part of the year. We traded for him uh, during the 1995 playoff run. Well, I was excellent, say, Excellent human being. I don't know if it was that same year. Um, it was around then, uh, and Craig Zamzow will probably remember this because he's up in Swan River. Darcy was with Dauphin for uh, a year, and didn't he have just like he was leading the NA or sorry the MJHL in scoring by such a wide margin? Didn't he want to trade and sat out on the team and sat for something like ten games before they moved him to the Southeast Blades? Uh, which ended up being the Steinbach Pistons. I know that's I'm dating myself by bringing that up. And then by the time he started playing again, he was only like one or two points out of first in the MJHL in scoring. Darcy was a phenomenal, not only a incredible great human shot, being, incredible but shot. Holy smokes, great shot and tough. Holy smokes, was that guy tough? You could not knock him off the puck. He was phenomenal. He was like um, Buff, I, a big guy like Buff. He was entirely like Buff. You're right. Uh, hey, I want to bring this up, uh, Brian Little. Great, great job by Sarah and the TSN broadcast to get Brian Little up for that intermission. That was now that's quality content for a game, especially on a Saturday night. Gotta say, I went over. I don't know if you had a chance to talk to him, Ken. I went up and I, uh, when he was leaving, I had a ch- chance to talk to him. And I gotta say, um, sounds like he's in, you know, I'll, I'll say it sounds like he's in a really good place. He's healthy. His family's doing really good. He's back in town to kind of tie up some loose ends. Uh, but boy, oh boy, he, he said, like, the issue with this whole thing is, like, he feels like he could play tomorrow. He feels like he could have gone down for the third period and tried to spark that Winnipeg Jets team. That's where he's at right now. But it's it's the opinion of four or five doctors or something like that is what he told me, that, you know, a big hit 
uh, or a big blow to head and it could lead to you know permanent permanent damage that he'd have to deal with for the rest of his life such a tough situation uh, for a guy like that but I do got to say I thought it was phenomenal that the crowd here and I know there's going to be another time Ken where they're going to yeah, bring him sure. back and allow the crowd to really really dig into celebrating Brian Little and his time here in Winnipeg but it was great to see him up on the Jumbotron great to see him get the do he got from the crowd and it was nice I have to say on a personal level to be able to just talk to him I'd said to him I don't know if I'll ever see see you again but I and and we probably will Ken as long as we're still working here when they bring him back to kind of celebrate things with him but um I gotta say it was uh you know this is a guy who always at every single moment of his time in Winnipeg conducted himself with class conducted the people around him with respect uh was an absolutely good human being which we saw both Adam Lowry and uh and Josh Morrissey hammered home in the post-game conversation tonight this is a great human being the Winnipeg Jets and the city of Winnipeg were lucky to have representing them and the city for all those years. Uh, and it was nice to be able to make sure uh, that that uh, it was nice for me to be able to make sure he knew I felt that way. Uh, I'm sure you had a similar experience. I really did. And I, and I think the Adam Lowry kind of put it, put it well in the post game. Also, I think that if people were wondering, you know, because people go, you know, are because of the passion level, well, you know, Brian Little was always, well, you know, we, you know, he's not a first line center. That was always the talk around Brian Little when he was here. Brian Little provided incredible um, results for the Winnipeg Jets. I don't care whatever number line he was playing on. He gave you everything that he had, possibly. He could play in all situations. He helped young players, as Josh Morrissey pointed out. And I always said he was the conscience of the Winnipeg Jets team. And if you were wondering if the city of Winnipeg and the Jets fan base appreciated Brian Little, all you had to do was listen to the roar. And the roar that got louder when they put him back on the Jumbotron. Uh, that was a nice touch there. And, you know, again, what do the players say? Probably the last thing Brian Little wanted to show up on was the Jumbotron. But uh, there he was taking a bow. And again, I said the same thing as you did, Sean. And I made sure that Brian knew how much the media appreciated him uh, he was always available always a guy who was not afraid to tell it like it was whether things were great or things were in a rough spot uh, Brian was the conscience of this team and uh, he's been missed by his teammates and again he's a guy that we enjoyed talking to so uh, just like you I said the same thing I just want you to know Brian how much we appreciate you and uh, he seemed to appreciate that a lot as well so again just talk very briefly but uh, he's a guy that you hope you're glad to see is in a good place. Uh, it's an incredibly tough way to end a person's career, but uh, he had a long run and a great run. And again, what people also sometimes forget, Brian Little has a lot of awareness, Sean. Brian Little wore number 10 with the Atlanta Thrashers. He knew he didn't have to be asked to choose another number. He didn't want to wear Dale Howard Chuck's number, not because he wouldn't have been honored to do so, but because he didn't want or didn't think that he should be wearing it, so he chose number 18. Uh, you know, One of the best human beings that we've come across in our media time in this city. Made me think we need to be walking around with Kenny and Rennie shirts at the ready because we should have slapped one on his back before he walked out of here. Absolutely phenomenal human being. Um, I want to get into something we talked a little bit, bit about in the last show, but uh, and people have been talking about it in the chat room about how good Josh Morrissey played. I got to say, Ken, it was the first thing, and I think I sent you some texts, yeah. uh, but boy, oh boy, it started about four minutes into the third period where he created that really, really good opportunity that Koskinen absolutely robbed yeah. the Jets on but I honestly think when the Jets get to a point in the game where they need to up their risk profile I'm starting to believe that there is no one on the Winnipeg Jets that pushes the pace and creates more offensively and sets the table for the Jets to create offensively than Brian Little he was absolutely phenomenal out there tonight I said something about it uh, I sent out a tweet and then sure enough he ends up setting up Kyle Connor for the perfect one-time pass uh, that brought that game to just within one goal. Um, phenomenal out there tonight. Uh, and, and it has me thinking, Ken, I asked the question of Dave Lowry. Uh, Dave Lowry talked about this, you know, the balance that needs to be struck. The, the, I'll, I'll say what I said last program. Like the way that Brian Little plays when the, when the, the risk profile goes up, he is 
so so good at creating offense. I'm blown away that he doesn't do it more often when the risk profile doesn't have to be up. Now, I understand why. I understand he's the kind of guy who wants to take care of his house first. But what I see from him when his risk profile is up, I don't see a drop-off defensively for the most part. I mean, I know there's going to be some plays here, plays there, times where he's trying to uh, keep the puck in the zone that are probably the most dangerous. But when he gets down ice, it rarely seems to come at a defensive cost. And I'm starting to wonder if if I was a head coach, sorry, not a head coach, if I was a coach of Brian, uh, not Brian, if I was a you coach of Josh on your brain, Morrissey, yeah. I do, yeah. If I was a coach of Josh Morrissey, I wonder how much video I would be looking at. And I wonder if I would be having counseling sessions with him, I don't, for lack of a better term, where I talked to him and said, you know what, I don't want to take away your defensive game, but I'm starting to think that we could squeeze 10 to 15 more points out of you in a season that we don't get because I think that there's room for you to get up ice more often than you do and still not sacrifice the defense that you give this team. Translation, I don't think it would be selfish of Brian Little to start looking to build more offense into his game than he has already because I think it's there and I think the times where he activates he does it without much of a defensive cost. I know what you're saying and Josh does do an excellent job at uh, the risk reward profile um, there's no doubt about that but what I what I my counter to that Sean and I'm not saying that I disagree completely I think there definitely are moments where he can do that I think that if the Jets were better at having the F3 high in terms of when those activations are happening, you would see it happening more. What I would say is it hasn't cost the Jets much because Josh is picking his spots in an extra area. He's being extra cautious in terms of knowing when to pick your spots. If he did it all the time, I think you'd see more pucks get into the back of the net just because when the volume increases and the risk profile increases, some teams, some elite teams can take take advantage of it. So, so this is my counter to that. Is I, I just think that it's a mindset thing. So I, I'm not oh, it's suggesting, totally a mindset. I'm not suggesting he'd be more risky. I think Brian Little becomes an offensive defenseman. Don't say Brian game, Little again. This, we're, it's gonna be it's gonna be a drinking game by the time the show is over. <laughs> I think Josh Sorry. Morrissey. I think Josh Morrissey <laughs> becomes an offensive defenseman when the game requires it of him. When, when totally he, sure it is needed. But my point is, I think he does so in such a way that. Uh, that if he adopted that mindset more often, I don't think he becomes a more risky player. That's what I'm saying. I think that if I were a coach on the Winnipeg Jets and I'd be able to go down and break down tape and show him what is so successful when he does that, I think there's room for more of that sure. in his game. And, I, and I, I think there's room to do it without it costing the Winnipeg Jets. And and if we think Agreed. about the balance, when we talk about players like Mark Scheifele and, you know, basically Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, these are guys who are constantly building risk into their game, thinking that the risk that the risk that they take will lead to more of a net benefit than, than putting themselves in a minus benefit. And I do think that there's more room for there for Josh Morrissey and that the Jets could benefit from that. I agree totally, and all I'm saying is what I think Josh is focusing on is his defensive zone first. Uh, I mean, Paul Maurice used to say this all the time. He thought that he would come back and, and be more offensive, but I think the, the biggest thing for him, he wanted to take, because the last couple of years weren't at the same level we're used to seeing, he wanted to clean, have a clean sheet in his own end first. I do think he's been way more active. His edge work and skating has been exceptional this year. He's doing a fantastic job. Someone else in the chat room asked earlier if the Jets needed a, a shooter on the power play. The Jets have a shooter on the power play. Josh Morrissey is now a shooter on the power play. He rattled another clapper off the crossbar today uh, as well. Uh, so his shot is, is, he's worked on a shot. He's been excellent at it. But I'm with you, Sean. Can Josh Morrissey be a 40 to 50 point player? Absolutely, uh, and, I, I, and, I, and I don't think he has to raise the risk profile very much to be that player. But uh, I think, too, what we also have to remember, this is the first year Josh has had a stable partner uh, for, the, for the stretch. Like, he's had a revolving door the last while. So I think that it's kind of, it's happening incrementally. I do think that he can become a more of an offensive force, but I think the fact that he is activating and starting to get some success offensively when doing the things that you just described will help him go there a little bit more regularly i agree you know i gotta say this uh i was debating on whether to say it or not um <laughs> we gotta we gotta stop booing evander kane and pk suban because i was trying i was i was trying to figure this out what other players 
are booed when they come to Winnipeg. I mean, they used to boo stars regularly, but... No, exactly. They used to boo stars regularly. All I'm hearing is Vander Kane and P.K. Subban. I mean, I think people got to move past it. I don't think the optics are good. I know that's not the reason for it. I know that there's things that happened in the past that anger people about it. But it seems like they're the only two players that get booed when they come into Winnipeg anymore. I, I would say a moratorium on that or, or showing a little bit of an effort to move on from stuff that is... I mean, how long ago did did uh, Evander Kane leave this team? 2015? 2000, just, just into 2015? We're talking seven years ago. I, I think it's time to move on. Uh, anyways, um, I wanted to get into one quick, sorry, one quick one. I, it, you know, Evander's doing a nice job since he's got there, but man, his speed game has dropped off considerably. Wouldn't you say? Uh, he did it. He, he did an incredible job of getting to the paint, but Evander used to be an incredibly powerful skater, and I just didn't see that at all today. Before I respond to that, do you think Line is going to get booed when he comes to town here? That's a great question. I, I, I don't. Well, I'm honestly, I, I, I think surprised. this is what I think. I think there's going to be an absolute roar at the beginning. And then I could see them booing him during the game. I mean, I guess he did want out. Uh, he handled it uh, for a guy who was leaving. He handled it about as well as he could. And I will say this, a lot of the stuff that I think that was driving him to want to make that decision is stuff that he never, ever took to the public or which... I think other players may have. Uh, I think Brian Little. Sorry. Oh my God! Take I a shot. Patrick are you are you okay? I think, I think Patrick Line handled that situation. Excuse me. Excuse, hang on. As good as you can expect from a young player to do that. Blink twice if you're being held against your will, Sean. Okay, like come on, wake up, man. Let's go. I know. I know. <laughs> hey, one quick I'm one. We should. We should. A lot of people have been asking about Adam uh, Cola Pauli. Uh, Adam Brooks uh, has arrived. Uh, he. I spoke to them briefly uh, during one of the intermissions as well. Uh, he did skate this morning. I'm not sure when he's going to be ready to play, if it'll be Monday or later on. But uh, super excited. for The Winnipegger is pumped to be home. Uh, he's ha He's been on the Eric Comrie Magical Mystery Tour uh, this year, uh, being, with, uh, being with the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, Montreal Canadiens, Vegas Golden Knights, and now the Winnipeg Jets. So he's, you know, packing, packing your suitcase, getting used to that. But... Uh, super excited about the opportunity. Uh, who knows where he's going to fit. But uh, right now, what I would say, the door is open for Adam Brooks to get into the lineup. I think the one thing we know about Adam Brooks, I mean, he was well-liked in a fourth-line role. Uh, you know, he's not a burner in terms of his skating, but he does a lot of things incredibly well. Uh, he's been able to put up some points in a limited amount of time. I think 11 points in 29 NHL games. Um, I mean, who knows? Right now, with Cole Perfetti out of the lineup, which we expect for an extended period, there, there's a chance on the second power play. I'd like to see Adam Brooks out there. I mean, this is a guy that put up massive points for the Regina Pats in the Western Hockey League. He's won a Calder Cup. He's a very productive AHL player. Uh, he's been kind of an in-betweener, but here's a guy who there could be a big opportunity for him. I'm not here saying that he should automatically start on the second line of the Jets. What I am saying, I think there could be an opportunity for him on the second power play and a chance for him to kind of find his footing where it's been a little more difficult to do so, so far in his uh, professional career. Uh, I wanted to finish up the thought on Evander Kane. Uh, I'll say this. I, I don't I don't know uh, what he would look like or where his speed is. I'll just say this. I think this happens quite often um, when you've got really good players who get beside phenomenal players and I'll just say this like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are a step above and even guys who have been really really good players in the league for years I think recognize that and I think that when you get players like that I don't care how you are unless your game of speed perfectly feeds into you know getting a pass down the wing and taking the puck in which I don't think that's how Leon Dreisaitl plays I think he likes to set up more often I think that you play off those players and so I take a look at what Evander Kane's doing, and I think he's doing anything, the same thing that any really, really good hockey player would do. He's playing with one of, in my opinion, the top three best players in the world who are heads and shoulders above the rest of the NHL class right now. And I think all I we're seeing from Evander Kane is not a slow player. It's a player who's saying, I'm going to watch what that guy does and react to it because he's always got the puck. He's always making something happen. My job is to give him options, not to be 
going out and trying to take the puck all on my own, which he used to do, Ken. I mean, his play used to be just to skate down the wing, come and take a long-distance shot, and he had such a good shot, sometimes they'd go in. But I remember thinking that Evander Kane's game was unimaginative, and and if he didn't have the shot he had, had would usually be ineffective. Sean, I just didn't notice him on the forecheck. He used to be one of the best forecheckers in the league. He would be physical on defensemen. I didn't think he was getting in on the forecheck at all. I'm not here to rip Evander Kane. He's doing Could a nice... Could be their system. Could be their system. Well, Leon's uh, not Leon's not on the forecheck. I mean, he's got to be on the forecheck on that line. But that's what I'm saying. I think they try to turn over pucks more often. There, It seems like there's this... Uh, I was actually really, really interested in the Edmonton Oilers' defensive structure. I was talking oh, sure. to Speck about it during the game. Uh, they seem completely bought into that defensive structure, um, but it, it seems like they play, I don't know how to describe this, it's like a single man zone, right? Like it's like the player wants to be where the Jets player is going. It's not like they get on them and try and force the puck to turn over. It's like they get to the spot where the Jets player is heading to and then try and tip the puck and move it over. So, uh, you know, you may be right. It may be that Evander Kane doesn't have the legs to get down the ice and turn over pucks behind the net anymore. But it may just be that's the system that Woody wants them to play, that Jay Woodcroft is expecting them to play. I just don't. I mean, again, I think that Van Vander missed a lot of time, so I'm not here saying he can't skate that way. Just I remember noticing his legs more previously. That's all. I will give Vander Kane credit. He was living in red free in the blue paint. He had three shots on goal and eight attempts. So I mean, some people saying he did nothing. I, I don't agree. Uh, he was involved in the game, uh, but to me, I guess the skating is something that I noticed, and the forecheck was the biggest thing that I noticed because Vander runs people through the end boards at will. And that's a, that's a skill and a talent. So I just don't see a, a, t a coach saying, I don't want you to do that, because that would be the precursor to many turned over pucks. Anyways, let's go back to the Jets. A little, I've got little brain. That's actually a, a good way of putting this. Um, oh, I wanted to go here. I wanted that, because here, I'll, I'll say this. Um, it's been a weird year, I think, with Connor Hellebuck, because I think there's been a ton of games this season uh, that Connor Hellebuck could have been the difference maker. I think tonight was that. Like the, I, again, this is why I caution a game like this, and, and you know the idea that the Jets say, you know, and, and we should give the Jets credit for this. It's what Paul Maurice used to say about them in games like this. It's what Dave Lowry said. You got to give the Jets credit for the pushback because there's a lot of teams in these situations that don't push back. The Jets consistently push back in games like this and you got to give credit where credit's due it's not easy to do that the Jets do that again among the best in the league but I will say this that game's three nothing they allowed the Oilers to get out too far ahead of them to come back in that game you know they come up basically one goal short but Ken that game could have been five six seven oh, yeah. nothing the way that it went I mean so I don't I don't look at this game and say oh the Jets played that well and made the push at the right time like this to me the, the, the biggest problem with this is you've got a goaltender who can make an unbelievable difference for your team and has time and time again over the years. This was a night where Connor Hellebuck made a massive difference and took a game that should have been a blowout with people walking out of the exits here 10 to 15 minutes early and turned it into a possibility for the Jets to win that game, and the Jets wasted it. Oh, no doubt. I, I, Hellbuck was great early. I agree with you. That game could have, when it was 3 nothing, it could have easily been 6 nothing, and you wouldn't have batted an eyelash at it because the Jets were not in the game uh, at that point. And Connor Hellbuck had to be in, incredibly sharp. Uh, I mean, the first one you kind of wondered. I mean, it was a good shot by Barry, obviously. But there's the thing. We, we only barely rubbed, touched on it. The Jets' inability to score in the 5-on-3, the Oilers get a power play, and they score 20 seconds. Right? I mean, right. and a great tip. What does Hyman do? Hyman gets to the blue paint, tips it in. I mean, smart smart shot by Barry. Uh, great job. I mean, McDavid, three-point night. Um, yeah, I mean, it just the Jets weren't good enough. There, there's there's no way to sugarcoat that. They had some th things they wanted to look at and build up off as positives. Jets just weren't good enough on a number of levels. And, I mean, we touched on it a little bit. I mean, I'm fascinated for your thoughts on this. Um for me, since Neil Pionk suffered the concussion and had the knee in the head from Jason Spezza and was suspended, he hasn't been the same player. And, and I, I, I can't pinpoint it. I don't know what it is. It's never a lack of effort with Neil Pionk. He plays his behind off every single shift. He's fierce and competitive. 
but something is off there. Right? The defensive zone coverage isn't the same. He's not as involved offensively. And there have been plays like, again, head on a swivel, you, it's easy to lose McDavid in coverage in a 4-on-4. Four four. I'm, I'm not singling him out for one play. It just, for me, for all the talk about the Jets' defense core needing to be better, Neil Pionk was the best Jets defenseman last year by a landslide. That has not been the case this year. Um, <laughs> I'll say this. To your point, and, and I, I'll, this thought comes to mind right now. I hadn't thought of it until you brought it up. But the one, what have we seen missing from Pionk's game since he came back? That intense contact that he typically has, right? So maybe that's the issue right there, right? Like if you think about how much of an edge he plays with, um, it's 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 impressive for a guy his size. It's surprising for a guy his size. It's you know he plays out of his body, out of what you would expect from a guy his size on a nightly basis when he when he's playing hockey. Um, I will say that I haven't seen that, and I don't know if he's. Uh, Maybe you have the answer to this. Has he had a concussion before this? I think he said he had one, like I want to say, either in minor hockey or junior hockey, but uh, not as a pro. I don't Or maybe did he say it was one in Hartford, maybe? I'd have to yeah. go back. I, I believe he had only one prior one. So, uh, again, and it's not, you know, we don't know what all these guys are dealing with and everything else, but uh, just to me, this has been one area. I know that the focus has been on, well, oh, well, maybe Schmidt and Dylan haven't had the same impact. Well, the biggest impact for the Jets is that Neil Pionk is not playing at the same level as last season. Yeah, well, and so I come back to that. I wonder, and I mean, hey, we know the science of concussions is that if you start stacking them up one on top of the other, sure. that's when things get really, really bad. So I wonder, as a player, uh, now that you know that, right, how that may affect your game. I mean, again, so let's go back to the Brian Little conversation I had with Brian Little earlier today. I was really struck by his, you know, I, I'd asked him this question. Uh, maybe it's a weird question to ask, but he talked about the family and, you know, uh, and I'd said, I wonder if you were a single guy and you didn't have kids and, you know, maybe you just lived for hockey, would you be thinking, you know, maybe I'll just risk it, right? Maybe I'll go and I don't have to be healthy for kids. I don't have to be healthy for my wife or my family or anything like that. And I want to play. So that's the most important thing to me because Ken, let's be honest with ourselves, football players, to this yeah. day, make that decision all the time, knowing that they're probably going to have quality of life issues down the road, but they choose to continue playing football because that's what they love to do and the risk is okay with them. Brian Little had said to me, no, he wouldn't be okay with that. From what he knows and from what he's been told by doctors, he's not willing to assume that risk. So it makes me wonder with players that get concussions and how they come back from it, how often is it that they're a little bit gun shy? How often is it that, you know, they've had their, their eggs scrambled and, you know, maybe it takes a while for the brain to start thinking the game the same way. But the one thing, Ken, and I've I've been upfront about this. I've had eight concussions in my life. Right. Six of them came from hockey, but they came at a time where you used to get hit and you could, you know, you're, you're, you'd be Bambi legs and you'd have no, and you'd go to the bench and you'd smell smelling salts until you could walk without falling back and forth. And then you'd go out and play the rest of the game. That's how we approached it. We approached it like that because we didn't know that what you were doing is putting yourself at a high risk for creating problems for your brain for years and years to come and I've talked about this there are issues that I deal with to this day that come from concussions and it probably happens because I'd go and I'd get a concussion and I'd continue playing that game that's just what you did back then I wonder about a guy like Neil Pionk who plays the game as rugged as he does and throws his body into the play the way he does I don't know what it's like to have played hockey knowing that you've put yourself in a situation where it may have a long-term effect on you and how that may change. I mean, does Neil Pionk now realize that after, if he's had two concussions, that maybe, just maybe, he needs to start playing the game a different way if he is going to have the quality of life that he wants? Or maybe even just the, the length of a career that he wants to have. Maybe those are conversations. It's probably a good question to ask him going forward, but maybe those are the conversations players have with themselves in their heads nowadays that never used to happen that we never really thought of before. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are all valid points, Sean, for sure. And, you, you know, you've had more concussions than I have, so you are more of the authority on this. But I just haven't seen a, a trail off in terms of his competitiveness 
I just don't see the same decision-making happening as quickly. Are we seeing him play as aggressive as we've seen him play there? Are we seeing the big contact that we that we saw on a game-to-game basis from this guy who is throwing himself at someone at some point during the game? I haven't seen it. I mean, I still see him competing. I mean, I'm, it's fair. I mean, this is a great example. How many times have we talked about Neil Pionk going after Connor McDavid, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Didn't that, notice we it didn't today. Hear that tonight. It but they also, before. I mean, to his defense, Morrissey's pairing was out against him a lot more, right? Morrissey yeah. uh, and Demello were out a lot more against those guys. But anyway, okay. so, so, something, <laughs> something to watch going forward. Yes, exactly. And again, uh, the other thing is, sorry, one thing, we often talked about this with Josh, I mean, before we found out about his dad. I mean, Neil Pionk signed the biggest ticket he's ever signed before. I mean, long, long-term ticket for big money. I mean, there's pressure that comes along with that. When you've been the best player and you get rewarded, you want to go out, even if it's subconsciously, well, you want to go out and earn that contract. So uh, maybe there's some of that going on as well, too. Again, I think Neil Pionk is a very good player. I just don't think that he's played at the same level he established for himself in his first two years as a Jet. Um, Ken, uh, we're over an hour here, uh, so if there's something you want to talk now about, speak now or forever, hold your peace. <laughs> uh, one quick one. Someone asked if uh, Brooks would be with the Moose. Uh, the Jets can only play him with the Jets. Uh, he would have to clear waivers in order to be sent to the Moose. And if he was on waivers, Toronto would claim him. For and sure. if there were no other claims, only Toronto would have the ability to send him straight to the American Hockey League because they were the last team to have him. So this is a player that there's interest in. He's going to be an NHL player with the Jets. There's no way that he's assigned uh, to the Moose directly. He would have to be up for waivers before any of that would happen. Ken, I need your big brain on this. Um, the uh, Eric Comrie was sent to waivers by the Jets, was claimed by Arizona, who then put him on waivers, and he no, went to New Jersey. Is that the trade, trade Traded to the Detroit Red Wings, then right. waived picked up by the Jets, spent a few yeah. days on the roster, then put on waivers. And then went to Oh, sorry, to New Jersey Arizona. was all... Was it, and then the last place, or was it New Jersey and then Arizona? No, Arizona was first. Arizona claimed right. him first. And then went to New Jersey? Detroit. Well, he did spend time with New Jersey, did he Yes, not? he did, but I think... All right, I'll get the order. You... Yeah, get the order. So th- th- this is my question to you because I thought I had thought. No, no, it's one- it, the season after he went to the to the Devils. So he was claimed off waivers in the 2021 season. So and it was, then and then claimed back by the Jets. Yes, but the, yes. Okay. Okay. And they were right. able. They were able to send him down because he had already been on waivers with. They were the original with the Jets. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So that that's that's where I was trying to pick this up because I had thought that when uh, Toronto claimed Brooke off of waivers from Vegas that they would be able to put him through the minors without anyone claiming him but it's because that there was the one team in Montreal the team, right? yes Montreal, Montreal, he he Montreal, Montreal in the middle then so, he goes so if yeah. Montreal had claimed yes him back, they could have sent him straight to Laval him and sent him to Laval exactly okay all right uh that's it for us here tonight um frustrating See you Monday. but it it just sure makes for more drama down the stretch here uh because the Winnipeg Jets keep uh adding to the sand pile and then digging the hole a little bit deeper. Uh, let's see what they do in the next game. It's going to be a good one just in time as the helicopter comes to land here at center ice. Thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, Brian little, Brian little, Brian little, uh, have yourselves a great Saturday evening. We will see you next time.